I'm Emma Gaysford from the University of Portsmouth, and today I'm talking to Dr. Carl Bell, reader in cultural and social history, about Christmas and ghosts. Hi, Carl. Hello. So what first prompted your interest in the supernatural? I'd like to be able to tell you it was kind of a sort of a Fox Mulder, horrible, spooky experience, but actually I've never had one, which is really disappointing. Those elements of the fantastical have always attracted me. So it's stuff like mythology and folklore and science fiction and horror and all, all of that stuff. It's just kind of fed into the, a sort of a love of that fantastical imaginary material that we keep passing down through the generations and updating as we go. I think. And Portsmouth's famous for Charles Dickens. His story about Scrooge is perhaps one of the oldest Christmas stories. Have ghost stories been around much longer than that? Yeah, I mean, obviously Dickens was kind of pivotal in really developing that sort of Victorian, the, the interest in sort of reading and publishing ghost stories around Christmas time. I mean, he does it with, with A Christmas Carol, but then he also does it with his journal, like Household Words, where he would annually sort of do this type of thing. And part of that sort of culture of, of sort of the Victorian short story, ghost story becomes very, very popular. But no, the, the kind of the associations between sort of ghost stories or spirit stories and Christmas go back a lot further than that. I mean, they may not be literary tales, but as oral stories, people coming together and, and exchanging stories is very much part of that tradition. You know, you can understand why it would be in a time of year when the sort of nature's died back, it's dark, that, you know, there's not much daylight. There's a sense that kind of life has really sort of retreated around the fireplace and therefore that sort of huddling together to talk about both sort of beginnings and endings is kind of natural and obviously Christmas is is incorporated elements of the sort of Germanic festival of, of Yuletide which itself is interested in death and rebirth and linked to kind of stories about the wild hunt which was kind of when the either Odin or depending on where you were telling it possibly her and the hunter would come sort of roaring out of the spirit world with spectral hands and spirits sort of following in his wake is a moment where the sort of the spirit world would occasionally erupt into our world and and these sort of stories were very much part of that yuletide culture and are they ghost stories or fairy tales because fairy tales play quite a big part in our our lives as well don't they and is there a difference yeah they're they're, i mean I, i they are very much ghost stories a lot of these things do tend to particularly dickens the, the kind of the, the function of the ghost it remains the same as it always has in that ghosts tend to serve as warnings or as guides. They, they're there to kind of point out when there is something wrong. If you think sort of Shakespeare and Hamlet's father on the battlement stuff, it's a sign that there is some kind of perhaps some hidden crime or some guilt that needs to be exposed. And, and so it does. I think the difference between fairy tales and ghost stories is the kind of the effect they try to achieve in that ghost stories are there to thrill and scare and unsettle us, whereas fairy tales are more often sort of orientated towards a sense of enchantment and wonder. And the, these ghost stories that we tend to tell around Christmas have some kind of base or some roots in the real world. They often relate to kind of extreme stories, quite melodramatic stories. Powerful emotions are the thing that creates ghosts, because obviously not everybody comes back as a ghost, so you need some explanation. So they do tend to be rooted in kind of things like sort of murder and suicides or, or great passion and, and, and things like that that generates ghosts. Whereas sort of fairy tales, they can, I mean, they've certainly been interpreted by some scholars as kind of metaphors for sort of socioeconomic, political tensions. 
But more often than not, because of that magical element, overtly magical element, magical transformations, they are slightly distanced from the real world, I think. So they they both talk about the supernatural, but the, the effects are slightly different. Why do you think people like ghost stories at this time of year? Yeah, I think it's it's the, it's the seasonal thing. It's dark. It's atmospheric. And it's a time when people come together. You know, whenever human beings come together, they exchange stories. That's, that's what they do. That's how we communicate and, and sort of bind ourselves together into communities. And obviously this year has been slightly different in that we've probably already spent quite a bit of time with our families. But normally Christmas is a time of getting together and and sort of sharing stories as a way of kind of, you know, it's part of a contributing to a collective gathering, I think. And then they, they are exciting. You know, ghost stories are particularly exciting stories. They don't just engage you sort of intellectually or emotionally, but they, they kind of, you can have a physical response to ghost stories, which makes them very powerful stories to tell. And then I think at this time of year, you've also got the, the other type of Christmas spirits in terms of alcohol, you know, that can, can help. People can sometimes be quite reticent about talking about their ghostly experiences because they don't want to expose themselves to mockery or ridicule. And and yet once people feel that they are sharing stories in a safe collective environment, and once they've had a few drinks, which sort of lower the inhibitions a little bit, they perhaps become a little more willing to talk about these things. Are you able to share any local ghost stories with us today? I've, I've got quite a lot from what I've looked at. I mean, they tend to be historical because I'm coming at it from a sort of a historian's perspective. Most of them are actually concentrated down in Old Portsmouth. There's an interesting account from a newspaper in 1946 of somebody writing about when she was a little girl living in St. Thomas Street, probably around the sort of 1910s, I, I would guess. So it's just sort of the, perhaps the end of the Edwardian period. And she, she told of how the people who lived in this house in St. Thomas Street were very sort of blasé about all this kind of poltergeist activity that was going on. So that she, this is a kind of quote from, from the article. It says about there's a smashing of unseen glass, bells ringing, doors coming unlocked, and heavy invisible bodies crashing down the uh, stair, main staircase were all seen as kind of trivial. You know, they just lived with this stuff. So it's kind of a real tolerance for the supernatural in their own house. Yeah. But she said that there's a kind of, the, the spooky thing was this kind of ghostly female figure who used to look in through an upstairs window, which presumably meant she's levitating, looking into the house, which is kind of creepy. And then there was a, a ghostly presence on the stairs that would force people to move aside as it came down or up the stairs. So there's people kind of living right next to these kind of encounters, and yet they yeah. they seem to sort of tolerate it. That poltergeist activity is kind of an interesting thing, particularly around that area. I think the thing with a lot of these is they're not polished stories. They're kind of snippets of stories that just come down to us through the sort of sources, you know, a newspaper source doesn't give you a nice rounded beginning, middle and end necessarily. There's one from 1800 in the High Street in Portsmouth in a wine merchant's house. Called, he's called Mr. Rudes and he takes on a new servant. And then shortly after he's taken her on, the, the servant bells keep ringing and then and they cannot stop them. They, they try to sort of muffle them and, and block them up. And then eventually they get ripped out of the wall and they're sort of saying it would take the strength of several strong men to torn this thing off the wall. And yet they focus in on the, the, the servant girl. She said she's often seen to be kind of battling spectres and demons. So she's kind of clearly, you know, sort of a upset sort of um, young woman. And she'd already got the sack from a cobbler who lived around the street in Lambert Street because when she worked for him, there was the sounds that the foundations of the house were being wrenched apart so eventually they, they did sort of take this thing down, but they gave her the sack again. So it's this idea that 
I mean, whether that's poltergeist activity or whether that's perhaps what we could consider telekinesis, kind of your mind affecting your physical environment, is unclear. But there is, it was certainly presented in, in this newspaper article at the time as poltergeist activity. <laughs> <laughs>